This is Smarter Cars, and I'm your host, Michelle Kairouz. Welcome to season six of the podcast. Today, we're talking with Alex Nesik, co-founder and chief business officer at Drover, a company that provides an advanced IoT module for micromobility vehicles that provides granular infrastructure distinction in real time without the need for ground truth information or precise GPS. Drover can enhance the operational efficiency and regulatory compliance of shared fleets in cities. Alex, welcome to the show. Hi, Michelle. Thank you very much for having me. For folks who don't know, can you tell us what Drover does? Sure. Drover is essentially an AI-powered IoT solution provider. Now, that's a, that's a mouthful. Uh, IoT is obviously an internet of things. And in this space, in the micromobility space, it applies to the little black boxes that allow operators to track and manage them. So they are usually equipped with uh, GPS, a cellular connection that enables the tracking and then managing. So reporting back up to some type of back end where they can see vehicle status, battery status, trip routing, and, and things like that. And so does Drover provide both the hardware and the software to uh, accomplish the tasks that you guys are selling? Yeah. So our mission is basically to take this to the next level. We think that these little black boxes can be a lot smarter than they currently are. So we've uh, leveraged not only the existing sensor suites that are found on vehicles, but we've added a camera as well to be able to do a little bit of artificial intelligence, machine learning and, and image classification to really help enhance the location awareness of these. And in that context, given that you know tens of thousands of vehicles are already deployed with existing IoT modules, we felt that creating a retrofitable solution that could be deployed in the short term would be the best way to come to market. And so, yes, initially we do have hardware called the Path Pilot, and that is designed to attach to any vehicle where vehicle agnostic could be an e-scooter, e-bike, a moped, cargo bike, really any micromobility form factor. And in that context, it can become the primary IoT module and connect to an operator's backend, or it can serve as a secondary IoT module that reports directly to the onboard IoT module that's already there. And, and so the flexibility is really our objective here to not provide too much friction in the implementation of our technology. But I think to your point about being a hardware and software solution, eventually we are aiming to phase out the, the hardware portion of it in so much as we can work directly with vehicle manufacturers. And if they have the minimum system requirements on board, compute power sensors that we require, we are just a software play. Well, I want to get back to compute power and some of the other details, but let's start with purpose. What is the purpose of Drover's technology? Yeah, I think, you know, that's a really fundamental question, right? <laughs> Micromobility has, has uh, exploded, seen a ton of growth. And I think really one of the biggest rubs has been the inability to produce the expected outcomes that both sides want. And by both sides, I mean the private sector and public sector. And at the core of it is really user behavior. It's a new modality and scooters uh, and, and bikes for that matter can go places where other things can't. And in that context, user behavior um, has been really hard to manage. And, and shockingly, it turns out that humans are really bad at following rules. And so rules already exist, right? In the sense that sidewalk riding is already illegal. Blocking the right of way is a big no-no. I mean, we have the Americans with Disabilities Act that governs access. And in the absence of adequate infrastructure to accommodate different modalities, right, in each in their own space, 
we are coming to market with Drover Solution to help manage that better and remove those pain points. And so there's a lot of different value to what we bring, the first among them being just regulatory compliance, right? And so in order to please and assuage the concerns of a lot of different stakeholders, be it pedestrian advocacy groups and disability advocacy groups, we can use that technology to mitigate bad user behavior. Because if our path pilot knows whether it's on the sidewalk as opposed to a bike lane or a street, which are categories that uh, out of the box our system can recognize, then the operator can implement real-time vehicle level control if need be. We also have speakers on board that not only can alert the, the rider in a real-time kind of user behavior nudge, but also the surrounding pedestrians because scooters are silent. And, and I think that's one of the elements that freaks people out on the sidewalk is these things come out of nowhere and you don't hear them or see them coming. So that's our, our first order of business. But then beyond that, there's a lot of value in having more granular understanding of where uh, micromobility moves, both on the data side as well as the operational side. On the operational side, if you can track your devices better, if you have a better sense of where their location is, it creates a better user experience for the user to find it, but also operationally, you spend less time looking for them. We can also help with parking compliance. So typically, operators all use kind of a user-generated photo at the end of a ride to help or hopefully ensure proper parking. And some stats point to somewhere around 10% of user-generated photos are actually usable. And so we can remove that and activate our camera at the end of a ride and not only take a photo, but our AI will also give a score to the parking job in relation to where it is, whether it's over a parking corral that's marked and clear, or even more nuanced areas like the outer edge of, of the sidewalk, which is kind of what the dockless mobility rules uh, enforce outside of corrals. So by virtue of removing that burden from the user, there's less friction, but we can also immediately uh, alert the operators to what could potentially be a bad parking job, effectively not waiting for some type of enforcement or report to come out saying, hey, you have vehicles blocking the sidewalk, we'll tell you right away. We think this scooter is poorly parked or tipped over, and you can send somebody out to remedy that situation. So a lot of operational value there. And one last thing I'll mention is that there's also a little known, well, I guess if you're in the industry, you know this, but if you're not in the industry, one of the biggest and costliest pain points is insurance costs. And, and to date, there really has been only one insurer or underwriter in the space, Lloyd's of Apollo. Uh, I believe Allianz may have entered the space in Europe recently, but that effectively has generated a, a monopoly in the space. And they're really pricing the insurance policy is extremely high and cities all require liability coverage and to be named as additional insured. And these policies really put a burden on the operators. And the excuse that Lloyds of Apollo hides behind or uses is that they don't have enough data. They don't have 10 years of, of data to inform dynamic pricing or risk in the space. And so now if an operator is using PathPilot, they will have a much better understanding and evidence of where their users are actually traveling. Effectively, being able to provide the data to their insurance companies to say, hey, our sidewalk writing is really not that big of a deal. We have the data to show it and actually even visual evidence. And it also serves as some kind of driver assistance and safety device, right? We can obviously slow scooters down on sidewalks and prevent the type of risky behavior that the insurers are 
afraid of and, and pricing too high. So you've mentioned regulatory, operational, and insurance benefits that Drover provides to shared micromobility providers. Let's break that down a little bit. So cities have these regulations about whether you can ride on a sidewalk or not, what the speed should be. Sometimes there are geofenced areas, like you might not be able to ride on the boardwalk down by the beach. And then there's the issue of verifying where you can park and what's allowed there. How does it work with something like sidewalk riding? Take us through what the rider experiences and what the operator sees on their end. So you bring up geofencing, which is something that's been in the space for since it began, some type of requirement to block out certain areas. And the existing solution of GPS works fairly well for these kind of broader blunt areas, right? As an enforcement tool, if you want to, let's say, block out a beach boardwalk, like you say, or a university campus, and you have a margin for error there. So whether you miss the mark by 30 feet or not, there are no real consequences. And so all operators have the ability to, through the cloud, send a reduced speed signal or cut throttle signal to scooters when they enter these zones. What we're effectively doing with PathPilot is bringing that to a much more granular level and and enabling much more finite geofencing. So the ability to geofence a sidewalk right next to a bike lane and that's right next to a street. And we can recognize each of those categories at the edge, meaning on the device without requiring any GPS verification, ground truth information, so existing data to reference, or cellular network validation, right? So that at the edge means that we have zero latency because our AI is effectively using the camera on board and the compute power on the scooter, in addition to the other sensors we're receiving feedback from to generate the output of location and transition between those three locations that we distinguish between. So the way a user would know this really depends on how the operator wants to take action on the information we provide. But our system will recognize right away whether a user is on the street and it, the operator has the choice of producing a sound in that environment. And then when the transition occurs to a sidewalk, then within a second and a half, our path pilot sends a signal to the operator to say, hey, tra- transition has occurred from street to sidewalk. And then at that point, it's a business decision or regulatory compliance decision that the operator takes. They have the ability, if they've integrated with the path pilot down to a controller level, meaning the speed controller on board, they can execute a a reduction in speed or cutting of the throttle while they surface a sound to the user. So we don't really have control over the end products or experience for the user. That's the operator's decision. We just provide them with that really actionable granular transition information in these very finite areas. So with your software, operators can then choose what to do with the information. Perhaps you can tell us why it is that computing at the edge makes such a difference. You mentioned you don't need GPS, you don't need cellular connection. I assume that that eliminates any latency or lag, but can you explain why GPS is not sufficient and why the additional camera and then sensor fusion that you guys are doing on the edge makes such a difference in determining where a scooter is being ridden? Yeah, that's a great question. And and again, you know, diving into the, the minutiae, I think most people think that GPS should be able to do the job, but I'll break it down to kind of a more familiar scenario. Everybody has a smartphone and I'm sure they've tried to navigate or position themselves 
in a city where, where maybe they're not familiar with their route or location, et cetera. So you open up your phone and, and you go to Google Maps or Apple Maps and your little blue dot. If you're in an open sky environment, like tall buildings around you and you have you know, GPS availability, meaning that, that you have line of sight to whatever satellites might be servicing your, your phone, the GPS chip inside your phone, your blue dot will be relatively fixed and, and accurate to within probably 10 or 30 feet, right? Which is good. It could be less even. The problem is that the areas that really matter most in the context of micromobility are the dense urban areas where there are lots of pedestrians on sidewalks, lots of tall buildings. So while GPS might work very well in 95% of scenarios, the 5% are, uh, uh, of the scenario is where it really matters and, and where you, know, you have all of the, the friction between micromobility operators, users, and those that think less of them, shall we say, pedestrians. And so in that, in that area, those GPS compromised areas or even cellular compromised areas, because as you know, there may be instances where you're in a city where your cell phone reception isn't great. So assuming that you don't have any availability of an accurate positioning signal or reference, then being able to compute this at the edge really gives you an advantage in, a, in enabling that type of capability without loss of service, right? So even without GPS, our system will know what a sidewalk looks like compared to the bike lane or a street and give with a very high level of confidence the ability to reduce speed or take action with that information. Yeah, I mean, for listeners who have been involved in the autonomous vehicle space, all of this is probably sounding pretty familiar. How to geolocate with enough precision, how to avoid latency and lack of connectivity. And so this ability to do the compute on the edge, I think is a familiar problem for those in that space. So when we think of autonomous vehicles, we think of the compute power that's required. And I'm wondering how does a little scooter have enough compute to do this? What are the sensor inputs and how much compute does that require and does it drain the battery? Yeah. So again, let me preface this by saying that I am not the CTO. So I'm going to give you kind of a very broad response there without diving too deep into any details because I'll probably get it wrong. But that being said, you know, you bring up a good point. Autonomous vehicles benefit from a, a much higher priced platform on which to add tens of thousands of dollars worth of sensors or leverage existing sensors that might come on board, right? Because vehicles, as we know, have turned into these computers on wheels and in a lot of ways. So I think what's unique about what we're doing here is within a very price sensitive and cost sensitive space, delivering a level of AI and machine learning at the edge that is, is going to A, you know, stay within the operating budget or hardware cost budget of, of an operator while adding operational savings, uh, ultimately helping achieve profitability and regulatory compliance, among other things. So we are leveraging existing sensors that are built into most scooters, things like an IMU, the you have GPS, right? So we have a GPS that is there. We can take in wheel odometry information to help with positioning. But the biggest one that we've added is a camera. And, and we you know, spent a lot of time kind of evaluating whether one camera versus two cameras. And again, price being an issue, we settled with one camera with a, a specific kind of field of view that enabled us to achieve both kind of riding inference and in terms of on the move, as well as parking validation. When a scooter slows down below a certain speed, it immediately starts analyzing, hey, I'm looking for a parking spot. How, do, how does it do? So we're fusing so, uh, all of these 
data streams from the existing sensors on board, as well as the camera that we've added uh, to the mix and using that to produce the outcome. And so operators can take that information about what the camera sees and what the speed is, and they can make a decision to automatically slow the scooter when you veer onto a sidewalk or to notify you that you haven't parked correctly or something like that. How are you pricing your service? I assume there's some cost for the hardware, but is it an ongoing software fee yeah. as well? Yes. So again, being very cost conscious, and I guess I should preface this by, by uh, saying that a lot of what we've developed, both on the hardware side, solution side, but also on the kind of pricing side comes or is informed by our experience as operators. My co-founder, Christian, Shaded Machine and, and myself were founders in Clever Mobility who actually operated in North America in, in a handful of markets under the brand Groove. And so we we learned the hard way and, and, and have a lot of intimate experience with operating scooter fleet. So we really tried to look at this from the inside, inside the operator's mind. And, and so the approach is to have a small upfront hardware fee, depending on number of units that you're outfitting. So there's some flexibility there. And then the monthly SaaS fee, we're currently at $15 per month per vehicle. But the, I guess, value proposition, rather than looking at it as a straight up hardware addition to the bomb of the vehicles you're putting out there, it's, we might be costing you 50 cents per day, but we're aiming to save you on the order of $2 per day with the benefits that we can add, reducing time spent looking for scooters, having a secondary GPS feed, for example, that can help triangulate position better, the insurance costs that we're aiming to reduce. And probably the biggest one, right, is just enabling operators to win permits in highly competitive environments. You have upwards of 30 companies applying for some of the most lucrative markets like New York and London. And in that environment, those regulatory bodies have seen fit to ask for this type of capability. And so I think that speaks to our value up front is if you aren't able to uh, make money in these potentially most lucrative markets, then you're missing out. So I think operators like Spin, who chose to incorporate our technology into their platform for 2021 and beyond, really see the value in, in staying ahead of the curve by including Drover's technology on board in their permit applications and hopefully winning those. It's such an interesting question about what is the regulatory cost and you know what you're basically saying is these scooter fleets need to implement technology in order to show cities that rather than try to monitor rider behavior or control rider behavior that scooter companies can automatically have a, a technology solution to enforce whatever the rules are, whether it's where you ride, where you park, how fast you go. Certainly other companies are looking at things to determine whether you've been drinking and, and other things. And so, you know, it's so interesting to see for a vehicle that's so small, like a scooter, these costs being really required in order to win now the tenders in some of these cities. How do you think about that in terms of using technology versus monitoring rider behavior in other ways? Yeah, I think, you know, I think the elephant in the room is the irony that cars have total impunity in these environments and users of those 
Certainly, you can buy a car that well exceeds uh, the speed limit and, and has the ability to break all kinds of rules. And, and we're you know, holding scooters and micromobility to a much higher standard. And so it does industry-wide seem to be a very unfair tax, right? And, and a barrier to entry uh, for what really is a, a huge solution for more densely populated urban areas for transportation. And, and it's a great first mile, last mile fix. So I, I have a lot of misgivings about this kind of industry-wide and the policy approach from the regulators. I think that it's maybe an attempt to not repeat some of the mistakes uh, because certainly cars, you know, the technology is there to limit uh, and govern speed in, in urban areas. And uh, certainly with autonomous vehicles, I think everybody's in a rush to get to autonomous vehicles, but guess what? Your autonomous vehicle is not gonna break a single rule. You will be going the speed limit at all times. But I think that the parallel that I draw is to the drone industry typically, right? Because I think that it doesn't really fit to try to compare what goes on with cars because micromobility vehicles behave a lot differently and can move through infrastructure in ways that cars can't. So a lot of the infrastructure is built to accommodate vehicles, right? Lanes and, and curbs and whatnot. Whereas you can take a scooter onto the sidewalk, into the building lobby, you can go you know, back alleys, anywhere you want, parks. And so it becomes a much different challenge. And what the drone industry has seen that I see a parallel in is, is that initially when these kind of consumer drones became available at a lower price point, people started buying them and just unboxing them and flying them willy-nilly wherever. And the FAA, when somebody opened one up and flew it at LAX or SFO, they stepped in and said, no, that's not really going to work for us. So at the manufacturer level, you're going to have to have firmware and software that uses uh, GPS. And in this case, you have open skies, uh, so you can have centimeter level accuracy without too many issues to control the and geofence what users can do with the drone. So now you try to fly a drone at LAX, it's going to be bricked. And now the FAA went a step further. Not only are they requiring the drones themselves to be located accurately, anything above 500 grams, so half a kilo, about a pound, is going to have to report the location of the person flying it. So in that space, I think what MDS, the mobility data specification and the need to kind of track these is really trying to get ahead of what's coming next. And, and because uh, the much more kind of invasive movements that micromobility and whatever form factor come next is, is going to have to be regulated. And I think the bigger question, if you follow that path is from a regulatory perspective, how do you hold shared micromobility to a different standard than consumer owned micromobility? Because right now you can buy a scooter on Amazon that goes 35 miles per hour and nobody is going to require you to drive it at 15 or cap your speed. And I think at some point there's going to have to be an agreement or some kind of consensus and a standard that applies to both spaces, whether it's looser regulations on shared or somewhere in the middle. And that I think is, is ultimately where we are uh, positioning ourselves is to be able to service both you know, for at a manufacturer level to incorporate our technology to enable a compliance with regulatory schemes that might differ from one jurisdiction to the next, but that the technology on board has that. But fundamentally, I think personally speaking, I just am looking at this from, I want micromobility to succeed so badly. I've been a fanatic of micromobility for almost six years now. I live in LA. We're a single car family, a family of four, and I ride scooters in public transit everywhere. But for me, the impetus to help the space is really because I don't want it to fail. I want it to be profitable. I want it to meet the, the expectations of the public sector. And for me, the most immediate way to try to do that was to solve it 
through technology because I didn't want users to blow it, a small segment of users, albeit, to blow it for others. And everything we're doing at Drover is really to ensure the longevity and success of, of micromobility as a sustainable form of transportation. Yeah, it's a really interesting point about shared versus owned and also about the different form factors. You noted that your technology is form agnostic, but especially as we see new form factors that kind of blur the distinctions, say, between a scooter and a bike. It seems like having a single uniform standard for all micromobility, whether shared or owned or regardless of the form factor, would make a lot of sense. You mentioned some of the differences uh, among the various cities. Every city seems to have its own rules. How does your software distinguish and how much work do you have to do to make your software work in different cities? Yeah, that's a great question. So that's kind of a two-part answer. We sit kind of within uh, a two-tiered geofencing system. So to the extent that there's already an existing IoT module that has GPS zones built out and established, those govern what the top speeds might be in a city. So like, let's say you have two cities or multiple cities sitting within another city in Los Angeles County, there's 88 cities. And you have a situation where Los Angeles completely surrounds West Hollywood or, or Beverly Hills, and then abuts to Santa Monica. And, and if there are different regulations in those areas, the city boundaries of themselves would be controlled by the GPS geofence. And then within that, whatever sets of rules pertain to the, the more granular areas like sidewalks, whether sidewalks are capped at five miles per hour, like they are in a city like San Jose, or you know, no sidewalk riding is allowed, our system kicks in and applies those rules, those more granular rules. Now to answer your point about how we perform in different cities or how our technology approaches new cities. That's really one of the benefits of Drover's technology as compared to some of the other solutions in the market that are trying to tackle this issue is that our system is really scalable rapidly and nimble in new areas because it's really good at generalizing and we're not relying on any mapping information. So ground truth uh, information would be a very accurate GIS mapping of your sidewalks. And because we don't require any pre-existing reference data, either visual or other, to position ourselves within that environment, our system is currently trained in what we have as a generic AI model that's composed of over a dozen cities and hundreds of thousands of images of training data that when dropped in a new city that it's never seen before will perform extremely well right out of the box. That being said, there's always certain city-specific infrastructure that our system has never seen before and might get tripped up by. In the event that occurs, all we need is a couple of hours of training in those specific areas when we enter a new space, and that additional training information gets folded into the generic data set and functions at an even higher rate of accuracy. That's super interesting that because you're not requiring ground truth, you don't need to have a map, you don't need to have kind of anything specific to a location. And generally, at least in the United States, the way that bike lanes, sidewalks and streets look is fairly consistent across cities. It seems I can see how there wouldn't be that many differences. One of the other use cases I think I've read is that you can identify when 
uh, scooter or other device is taken indoors or in a parking garage. Can you tell about some of these other use cases, how people are using your software to control user behavior? Yeah, that's a really interesting topic. Again, given that we have this AI on board, additional categories of infrastructure can be trained. And so we were approached with a pretty interesting use case. The city of Long Beach told us that they were having a lot of issues with vandals using scooters to enter parking garages and break into cars and steal belongings and getting away quickly. So that was a nuisance from the city perspective. And I said, well, can you do anything about that to prevent scooters from even going into a parking garage? And so I brought that back to our technical team and they said, yeah, sure, let's see, let's train. And and so again, we trained our path pilot to recognize a whole variety of underground covered parking garages, anything that looks like a parking structure. And it did really well. And so you could uh, extrapolate that and also potentially train the system to recognize a a building lobby, for example, if somebody were bringing it into an office building and and it's not supposed to be in there. And then, so that was the regulatory concern. It was linked to theft and vandalism. But then the operators, when we started thinking about it from an operational standpoint, parking structures are basically like black holes for GPS or buildings themselves are black holes. So anytime a scooter goes into a building, be it a parking structure or other, the GPS signal is not only compromised, it's probably might not even be telling you that it's in that building, or you don't even know what floor it's on. And so essentially here you have a huge time suck where you're dispatching somebody that you're paying $15 an hour, and they might take 45 minutes, an hour, an hour and a half to locate the scooter, or maybe not even locate it at all. And at that point, you know, now you have a lost vehicle that's cost you $700. So that's another use case that has operational value in the sense that it'll prevent those units from disappearing into these really bad areas where attrition is higher. And then it also helps cities avoid a problem that uh, might exist. In this case, it was Long Beach's issue with vandals. So, you know, I think we're really looking forward to growing what PathPilot can do in in these environments, but that's just another example outside of just recognizing streets, bike lanes, and and sidewalks where we can add value. In terms of other operational value that your software can provide, it seems like the idea of rebalancing is a concern for operators and trying to both comply with city rules, but also to put their scooters in places where people are more likely to ride them. Have you thought about whether your software might evolve to allow for autonomous repositioning or reparking? I think you've already had Dimitri from Tortoise on your podcast. Dimitri's a good friend and, and I, I love what, what they're doing. In, in both this space as well as teleoperated delivery. You know, I think there are too many regulations around that right now. And, and the other element there that we don't have control over is whether the scooter itself can self-balance or if it's three-wheeled. And so I think certainly given overlapping componentry that are you know, is needed either for teleoperation autonomy or AI that we're doing, there's definitely an overlap there. And so we've already had some conversations, but it's too early in the game. I think there's lower hanging fruit in terms of pain points or issues to solve before implementing autonomous rebalancing and and having fleets of scooters moving through cities by themselves. So we've talked about the benefits for companies to using Drover software, complying with city rules, having these operational benefits, but clearly there's a value to cities here as well. You mentioned MDS. Clearly the data that's collected through your software would be useful for cities. Have you had any discussion 
discussions with cities? Is there an effort by cities to say, wait a sec, we could just do this ourselves versus overseeing companies and making sure companies are doing it? What are your thoughts there? You're speaking my language here, but there are definitely a lot of other applications. And while operators are initially make the most sense as our customers, because they're the ones having to meet these regulatory demands, there is also an opportunity for us to work directly with cities. And to your point, I think that a lot of smaller to mid-sized cities that have little staff or bandwidth to accommodate managing new modalities coming into their cities and MDS is kind of, it seems like a heavy lift. We could play really nicely in that environment to kind of level the playing field and become a standardized option. So if we contract directly with the city and Pathpilot is required to be added to any modality that comes into the city that wishes to operate in a free floating manner, then the city currently, if you have kind of different operators in the space, all having different capabilities or different technology stacks and different ways of implementing them, it's really tough to manage. And, and again, cities don't have the staff to do that. With a single kind of point of, of reference that levels the playing field and is standardized, our system provides an MDS feed out of the box, in addition to the much more granular information we can provide, but also provides the ability to control or enforce compliance and monitor fleets through the same kind of tech stack and effectively not have to herd cats as much. So there's definitely a play there. I think doing business with cities is a longer sales cycle. We've had some conversations and there's some interest, but ultimately they want to see it deployed first by operators to see how well it performs and, and how well, in fact, it does meet with their objectives. But I think once we've established that, there will certainly be some interest, particularly in the smaller to mid-sized cities. And then the other aspect is that the data that we're collecting through the sensors that we have on board, but primarily the camera, is a value to cities as well, be it for pothole identification potentially curb mapping, transportation planning, right? To have, here's a use case that's near and dear to my heart. Bike lanes are constantly blocked, right? I mean, so by utility vehicles, by delivery vehicles, by private citizens. And in that context, if we can identify, even if it's not immediately issuing citations based on identifying scoff laws perpetrating this behavior, we can actually help pinpoint certain areas where it happens a lot. So maybe if a specific area is constantly having a bike lane blocked, then we can inform the city of that and then they can take action based on that, maybe protect it a little bit better and, and et cetera. So yeah, I think there's definitely some additional layers once we're deployed to identify how to make use of the data we're collecting to benefit everyone. It seems like if there's a particular place where for two or three blocks, scooter riders are veering onto the sidewalk because they don't feel safe on the street, that's data that could be collected in some aggregate way to mm -hmm. inform city planning. What are your plans for the next year for Drover? You mentioned that you have an agreement with SPIN to provide services to them for their shared fleets. What does the next year or so look like? You know, that's a great question. We're, we're very excited uh, about the partnership announced with SPIN, and that's going to kick off sometime here in the spring. We're in the midst of manufacturing the modules required for these multiple deployments. They included Drover as a name technology in their applications to a laundry list of cities, but including London and New York and Tampa. So hopefully those fall in their favor and then we get to deploy. So at that point, I think we're also looking, we're having conversations currently with bike fleet operators. And I think Spin also probably has some multimodality on the horizon. I don't know very much about it, but there've been rumblings. 
And we're also looking at mopeds. So in, in the context of uh, moped sharing, it's a different problem there because mopeds are supposed to stay on the streets. And if they're in the bike lane going 35 miles per hour, that's a problem. So it's funny how people think that if you have the right infrastructure for everyone, everyone will stick to it, but that's not really the case. So even in areas where there are protected bike lanes, you will find people using them the wrong way or scooters in the street or in the sidewalk. And so in each of those uh, modalities, we have a role to play to help curb that bad behavior. And then I think there's a huge uh, opportunity also in last mile logistics to the extent that companies like UPS and Amazon and FedEx are looking more and more to e-cargo bikes and, and smaller form factors to deliver parcels in urban environments. In that context, we can serve like a driver dash cam that helps notify in real time the delivery driver of what is a good parking spot or not, whether they're blocking a bike lane. And so a lot of slightly different use cases or applications, but also just helping ensure that the safety and behavior of those last mile logistics people. And frankly speaking, the last mile logistics companies aren't really familiar with MDS, right? And, and will have to be held to that same standard. So in that context, we are kind of the best IoT solution available to not only meet the, the data sharing requirements, but also implement safe rollouts of these programs. Are you able to roll out your software in other countries besides the United States? Yes. So we are also in conversation with operators in Southeast Asia and across Europe. So again, London and the UK is governed by a partnership with SPIN, but that partnership is limited geographically speaking and also to scooters only. So we're open to working with operators outside of the limited area that we have uh, a partnership with SPIN, uh, and we're doing just that. We're speaking to a variety of, of other interested parties. We're also integrated through Wunder Mobility, which is a German platform that enables over 80 shared uh, operators, car, bike, moped, scooter. We've integrated PathPilot with their backend and app so that it's a plug and play. And so that's effectively opening up the market to smaller operators across uh, the globe that, that Wunder already enables. Terrific. Well, thanks so much for coming on the podcast. It was great to hear what Drover's working on. Thank you very much for having me. I enjoyed the conversation. Thanks again to Alex for joining us. To find the show notes for this episode and all of our episodes, you can check out our Substack publication at smartercars.substack.com. If you're enjoying the show, please leave us a rating or review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time.